those of you who have listened to me preaching and teaching over, over a course of a number of years will probably be startled by this, that I'm actually preaching a lesson on Thanksgiving during Thanksgiving weekend, because most of you know I don't usually do that. In fact, I usually avoid doing that. I avoid, uh, you know, preaching to the calendar, as it were, about, you know, when we're celebrating a holiday, preaching something specifically about that. But as I, again, was saying to Nathaniel earlier, this is a, a, a topic that I had been thinking about for some time and wanting to talk about, and it just happened that the next time I was here happened to be this weekend. So uh, I didn't really plan on this being a quote-unquote Thanksgiving day or Thanksgiving weekend lesson, just a lesson on Thanksgiving, and it just happens to coincide with the fact that I'm here this weekend, but they do say that the Lord moves in, in mysterious ways, so we'll take it however that comes. We are going to be talking about thanks and the giving of thanks today, and we're going to specifically look at one story in, in particular, but a couple of, of examples that sort of teach us what the real meaning of giving thanks is. Because a lot of times, you know, in our culture, you know, when we say the word Thanksgiving, what do we think about? Think about turkey dinner. We think about maybe some football. We might think about a parade, maybe a dog show. You know, we think about getting together with family. You know, those are the things that we associate with that word Thanksgiving. But it literally means what it says, to give thanks, to express gratitude. And that really should be the purpose for which we celebrate Thanksgiving, not only on the day that's marked that on the calendar, but every day that we have opportunity to, to be grateful for the things that God has given and done for us. It's good that we reflect on our blessings. It's good that we, that we stop and think about all of the things that we have to be thankful for. And when we do that, it's important that we give God the glory. It's important that we give God the gratitude for all that we have and enjoy. Because it becomes very easy sometimes for us to look at the things that we have and say, look what I did. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've gained. When in fact, we should always give thanks to God for whatever it is that he's blessed us with. But I think sometimes, and I know I'm guilty of this, which is why I wanted to talk about it, as sometimes we think, having said, thank you, Lord, we've kind of discharged our duty with regard to being thankful. That as long as we've said, Lord, thank you, that we think that really is all there is to thanksgiving or to being grateful. But, you know, Scripture teaches us in, in many places, but particularly in the second chapter of the book of James, that faith has to be active in order to be valid. How many times in that second chapter of James does James make the point that faith without works, without action, is dead? And I want to suggest to us that the Scripture also teaches us that gratitude, requires action. The gratitude is expressed not just in words, but by our actions. 
And I want to demonstrate this with a, a story that most of us are familiar with in the 12th chapter of the book of Mark. In that 12th chapter, we find Jesus in the temple. And Mark records, beginning at the 41st verse, that Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Like I said, this is a story that's familiar to us, and we draw a lot of lessons from the widow's story. Sometimes we draw a lesson in contrast. We compare those who were giving from their wealth, those who had a lot to give from, and who even when they gave a lot, still had plenty, as compared to the woman who gave from poverty all that she had, as Jesus said, to live on. Sometimes we use this as a lesson of substance over size, that what mattered was not the size of the gift, because many people gave very large gifts, and the widow's gifts were, gift was very small, but yet, Jesus said it was more valuable than all the others because it was everything that she had. Sometimes we use this as a lesson in faith because the widow gave all she had and trusted God to provide for her once she'd given it. And sometimes we use this as a lesson in sacrifice because the widow paid the ultimate price. She gave everything that she had to give even as Jesus himself would later give his all to save humankind. And all of those are good lessons, valid lessons, lessons that the Holy Spirit wants us to derive from this passage. But I want to suggest that there's one more. It's also a lesson in gratitude. Because the widow's gift demonstrates her gratitude. These two coins that she had in her hand, God had given her. And she was thankful to God that she had this to give. And she was so thankful for it that she gave it. Her thankfulness was not limited by the size of what she'd been given. You know, sometimes we do that to ourselves. We say, I don't have much to give, so why should I bother giving anything? And that doesn't just apply in terms of money. That also applies in terms of our abilities, our time, our talents. We say, well, I can't really do much. So there's no point in me doing anything. And that is, of course, exactly the wrong way to look at it. This widow could have looked at those two coins in her hand and said, well, this is not going to help the temple very much. Why should I even bother putting that in the treasury? I can put this to better use 
than the temple will. But she was so glad to have those two coins that she was glad to give them away. And what she had to give, she gave. Jesus said that's all she had to live on. She was not giving those like those who were giving the large amounts who could drop that in and say, well, you know, I still got plenty at home. That was all that she had to give, but she was glad to give it because it was what she had to give. And it's also noteworthy that she didn't just sit at home praying, thank you, Lord, that you've given me these two copper coins. I am so grateful to have these, knowing that with these two copper coins, I will be able to eke out a, a meager living for at least another day. Instead, she expressed her gratitude by going to the temple and giving those two copper coins, as though to say, thank you, Lord, that I can give this. Thank you, Lord, that I have this much to give. I want to challenge myself and by extension challenge each of us to embrace that lesson. To embrace the idea that if we are truly thankful for what God has given us, it should motivate us to give of it. That whatever God has given us, if we are really thankful for it, our first inclination should be, how do I give this so that it can bless somebody else, so that someone else can benefit, so that the work of the Lord can be done? Remember the, the account in Luke, the 17th chapter, beginning at the 11th verse, where it says that on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And when they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Ten men who had a disease that not only was incurable in their time period, in fact, remained incurable until our lifetimes, but also that required them to be isolated 
from others so that they didn't pass on this incurable disease to other people. And when they see Jesus coming, they plead with him to have pity on them. And he sends them to the priests as the law of Moses commanded that lepers had to present themselves to the priests in order to be demonstrated as clean. And as they went to the priests, all ten of them were relieved of their leprosy. But just this one came back. Just this one demonstrated his gratitude with action. Now, that's not to say that the other nine weren't glad to be relieved of their leprosy. I'm sure they were. I'm certain that when they got the priest, got to the priest, and the priest gave them the clean bill of health, they went home rejoicing. Because not only did they no longer have an incurable disease, but now they could embrace their family and friends and live in normal society again. I'm sure they were glad about that. How could you not be? I'm sure they were thankful for that blessing and that benefit. But only one of the ten was moved to action. Only one turned that gratitude into actual deeds. Coming back to Jesus and praising God and falling at his feet in worship. And Jesus commends him and asks a pertinent question, where are the other nine guys? What happened? Again, I'm certain that the other ten that the other nine were grateful, but only one turned that gratitude into action, and he's the one that scripture points out to us as an example. That's not by accident. In Matthew the eighteenth chapter, Jesus would tell a parable. We often call this the parable of the ungrateful servant. He says, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me. He demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, certainly this is a lesson in forgiveness. Absolutely. But notice it's also a lesson in gratitude, or the lack thereof. Because what really happened, if we look at the story, this man got a gift of 10,000 bags of gold. Now, the master didn't just hand him 10,000 bags of gold. But that was the amount of his debt. And when that debt was canceled, it was the equivalent of him getting 10,000 bags of gold because now he didn't have to pay that. That's a pretty tremendous gift. I'm guessing if somebody gave you 10,000 bags full of gold, you'd probably be pretty appreciative of that. This man went out and demonstrated his gratitude by being ingracious to someone who owed him a relatively small amount. Gratitude has to be expressed in action. <clears throat> the way for this man to show that he was truly grateful for this tremendous gift not only of 10,000 bags of gold, which he no longer had to pay, but also for the lives and freedom of himself and his wife and his children, whom the master was prepared to sell into slavery, along with all of his possessions, in order to recoup the debt. Gratitude has to be expressed by action. If this man were really thankful for what the master had done for him, he would have gone out and found this man who owed him a small amount of money. He would have searched high and low for that man and said, guess what? I owed our master this huge amount of money that I couldn't pay back in a hundred lifetimes. And he's just canceled my debt. You know that a that hundred pieces of silver you owe me? Forget about it. I am so grateful for what's been done for me that I'm going to do the very same thing for you. That's what real gratitude would have been. But he didn't show it. The principle of gratitude we find in the words of Jesus in 
Matthew, the 10th chapter and the 8th verse. When Jesus first invested his apostles with the miraculous gifts that they would need in order to confirm the gospel as they went about preaching and teaching, he said to them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Jesus was saying to them, I'm going to give you an amazing gift. You are going to have the power to cure disease, even to raise the dead. And what I want you to remember when you go out with that power is that you didn't pay anything for it. You didn't do anything to earn it. I'm giving this to you for free. And so as you have the opportunity to exercise it, you should seek every opportunity to give it away as freely as it's been given to you. Now we might look at ourselves and say, well, I can't, I can't heal the sick. I can't even make myself better of the things that ail my body. I can't raise the dead. True enough. Our gifts are not like the gifts that those 12 men were given. But we all have gifts. And our gifts come from the same place that those miraculous gifts came from. Our abilities, our talents, our connection with other people, our empathy, our compassion, our time. All of those things come from the same source as the miraculous gifts that were given to the apostles. Freely you have received, freely give. If we really appreciate, if I, let me make it personal, if I really appreciate and am thankful for the things that God has given me. Whatever those things might be. And they might be different from your things. But if I'm really grateful for those things. I will find opportunity to give them. As freely. As they were given to me. Because nothing I have. I've earned. Nothing I have, I deserve. Everything I possess is mine because of the grace and the goodness of my Father in heaven. Freely I have received. Freely I should give. Amen. We see this in action in Acts chapter 4 as we see the example of the early Christians, even before they were being called Christians. 
when they were simply followers of Jesus. In the 32nd verse of that 4th chapter of Acts, Luke tells us that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now the specifics of that example are particular to the time and place. That's not to say that all of us need to go out, sell everything that we have, put all the money in a pot. But the principle is there. Which is, whatever we have isn't really our own. These disciples understood that. None of them claimed that any of their possessions was their own. And because of that, if, if you don't think it's yours, it becomes easy to share it. Because now you're not personally invested in it. Now you're not trying so desperately to cling to it because what's mine is mine. When I realize that what's mine is God's, all of a sudden it gets easier to give it away. Because I realize it was given to me. That's the principle that Jesus laid on the apostles there in Matthew 10, 8. It's the principle we see these disciples living out in Acts chapter 4. And it is a principle by which we, as disciples of Jesus today, should live. Freely you received. Freely give. How many examples of this do we see in the New Testament? Here's just a few. The woman who anointed Jesus at the house of Simon with expensive perfume. In Matthew chapter 26. Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19. Who was so grateful. Having been a tax collector. A, pos a, a position and an occupation that was notorious in that day. For graft and theft. And abuse. said to Jesus, whatever I've taken wrongly, I'm going to give back four times. Because he was so grateful that Jesus had shown him grace and mercy. His gratitude was shown in action. Martha and Mary and Lazarus in John chapter 12 opened their home, not only to Jesus and his disciples, but all who followed him. That's why, as was mentioned earlier, Martha was so busy 
because there's a lot of people to cook for and to feed. But they opened their home because they were grateful for what Jesus had done in raising Lazarus from the dead. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, we see in John the 19th chapter, going and claiming the body of Jesus. Laying that body in the tomb that Joseph had bought for his own burial when that time came. And the two of them taking the expensive spices that Nicodemus brought and preparing the body of Jesus. These were two wealthy men, but who now were eager to give from what they had because of the grace and the mercy that they had seen from Jesus. In Acts the 16th chapter, we meet Lydia, a woman who was successful in business, who heard the preaching of the Apostle Paul, was baptized into Christ with her household. The very next thing that we read about Lydia is that now the church is in her house. Why did that happen? Because she was so thankful for having been shown the way of salvation that what she had was now available to those who were also experiencing that same salvation. Barnabas, whom we come to know a little bit during the course of the book of Acts, we are introduced to him in the fourth chapter, right at the conclusion of that section of Acts chapter 4 that we read earlier, where it talked about people selling their property and bringing the money and laying it at the apostles' feet. One of the people who did that was this man named Joseph, whom the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. Barnabas was so grateful for what had been done for him that he eagerly gave of what he had. And these are just a few of the examples that were shown of gratitude not just being about saying, thank you, Lord. We should say that, by the way. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't say thank you. But let's not let our thanks stop there. Let's not think we've discharged our duty of gratitude by saying a prayer of thanks. As I said at the very beginning, this is a lesson that I've been thinking about for some time because it was one that I want to apply to myself. Best lessons I ever preach are the ones that I've had to preach at me first. And this is certainly one of them. I want to challenge myself that if I'm really thankful for what God has given to me, that thanks should be expressed in my willingness to give, in my eagerness to give, 
and in my actual giving. How often do I content myself with allowing a word of thanks? Thank you, Lord, for everything you did for me today. Thank you for what I have. How often do I let that be enough? And what I want to remind myself is, if that's as grateful as I get, I'm not really that grateful. If that's as thankful as I am, that's not thankful enough. Because if I'm truly thankful, like these examples that we've seen, like this poor widow with those two copper coins in her hand, if I'm really thankful for what's in my hand, I should seize the opportunity to give it away. Because that's what it means to be thankful. Do I look at the things that I have? And again, not just the material things. Not just the money. Not just the, the material possessions. But my time my compassion, my empathy, my ability to serve, my ability to share. Do I truly see those things as freely given and understand that I should freely give? Or am I so grateful for those two copper coins that I have. Because relatively speaking, what I have is that compared to what some people in this world have. And even as it is so, that somebody else's two copper coins look like little compared to what I have. But do I look at whatever I have that's in my hand and say, I'm going to hold on to this. Thank you, Lord, that I can cling to this. Or does my gratitude move me to give it up, to give it away, to use it in order to serve others and to share the good news of the gospel of Christ? To the glory of God. Like I said, it just happened that I had the opportunity to deliver this lesson this weekend to you. But know this is a lesson I've been preaching to myself for a while. And I hope you take away from it what I'm trying to take away is that I need to be better about my thanksgiving that I need to be better about not just saying the words, thank you, Lord, and instead adding to those words, because again, don't stop the words, but adding to the words the action that demonstrates how thankful I am to God for what he's given me. 
I don't accept, I don't, I don't say that I'm excelling at that challenge yet. I don't know that I'll ever be as good at it as I, as I should be. But it's a challenge I'm going to try to embrace. And I hope if you've taken something from this lesson that you'll challenge yourself to embrace it as well.